And so get here, enjoy the kind of teaching that is going on in this fellowship. And uh, learn from the Word of God. Learn who your God is, who this God is that you are serving. And encourage your teachers, those who teach you in the Lord. And get to your Bible studies and make sure that the first things are first in your life. Um, Our storm actually, a little bit like the uh, hurricane, Florence, it started out with a warning. Um, Our children, our son Paul, his wife Brenna told us about uh, six months ago that they would be giving us our first grandchild. And of course, wow, there is such emotion and all of that. You who are grandparents understand But um, about four months ago, they said that the baby was not growing. And I went to an appointment where um, we were sitting and the doctor came in and said, this baby will not survive. If she makes it to birth, she will not be born alive. Have you ever gotten that kind of news? Has somebody ever said A situation was going to be a certain way, a tragic way, a devastating way. We learned that in Sunday school this morning. And then on Friday, that storm hit full blast with a call saying that they were doing an emergency C-section on my daughter-in-law and we needed to get to the hospital right away for us thinking that maybe we would... um, have just a few moments with this granddaughter. But in those storms, like we learned in Sunday school, right, we remember who our God is. And that often when we are told impossible, God says, no, possible. He changes that. And uh, we arrived there to find out our granddaughter was living Yeah, she's two months premature. She only weighed a pound and nine ounces. She has a long road to go, but there is no talk of death or heart problems or brain problems or uh, a body that is not working. And we praise the Lord. We thank the Lord. Um, Yeah, thank you for your prayers for us when you heard our situation And um, that is one thing about storms. We need to pray for each other. When you get in a storm, you call your inner circle. You call your prayer team. You call your pastor. And you say, I am in a storm. Pray for me. We cannot do these storms alone. We were never intended to do them alone. We are a family. We're a fellowship. And we stand together in the difficulties of life, the storms, the battles of life. So yeah, I am a missionary. I represent to you this morning the great people of Upper Volta, now Burkina Faso, a small landlocked country in West Africa that is actually becoming a strategic place The American government recognizes that. We have a large number of military right next door, a drone base, but they feel Burkina Faso is one of those key countries to maintain 
stability. Just yesterday, um, an Al-Qaeda-linked group killed nine people in our country. They are on the move. They are angry. Um, they, are, they work in fear. They target young men who are uneducated, who have no future, who cannot find jobs. They bring them in. They move into a village, closing down schools, offering money to anyone who will uh, follow them or keep quiet about what they are doing. They are closely tied with Islam, even though, of course, we know that is not the Muslim community, but they have linked themselves with the Islamic community, and nobody will stop them. So Burkina Faso is a strategic place for missionaries to be. With that light, right, he just brings that light into darkness and to push on and to push forward. And so I'm here this morning, yeah, just to remind you about the Great Commission, about missions. Every follower of Christ needs to be involved in world evangelism. And you have your own mission going on here. You've got this wonderful, I just got a glimpse of it, preschool, uh, after-school programs, things that you are doing to bring the light of Christ into your community. A pastor who's engaged, who goes to meetings of the school board and meeting with the governor and saying things have to be different here in our city. But also in this fellowship, we are committed to bringing the gospel to the last-to-be-reached parts of the world. Those small pockets of people that have never heard that wonderful name, that name of Jesus. So yeah, we have one goal, only one thing that we need to do. Bring as many as possible into the kingdom of Christ. Um, you know that song, this train is bound for glory, this train. Get on board. Jump in. However you are, whatever you are, whatever your situation, that door to heaven is wide open for all who will believe. One goal, one purpose for our fellowship, it is to bring the gospel, to bring as many people into the kingdom of Christ. Yeah, looking here in Joshua chapter 5, uh, you know the story of Joshua, right? He's the one who followed after Moses. Joshua chapter 5, he has been commissioned. That mantle has fallen onto his shoulders. And now Joshua is in charge. And he is about to go up and fight one of the most remarkable battles in history. Which battle is he going to fight? He's going to march around that city seven times. What's the name of that city? Jericho. Wow, are you sleeping already? What on earth? Huh? Have you marched around your house? Huh? Come on, have you? When that battle is raging, what do you do? You start marching. You walk through every room of your house and claim it for the Lord Jesus. When your neighborhood is going bad, he talked about a playground where kids can't even play. Let's get out and march. Huh? 
We're walking and claiming territory for the Lord Jesus. And Joshua is about to do that. Joshua chapter 5, verse 13. It says, when Joshua was near the town of Jericho, he looked up and saw what? Hello. What did he see? He sees a man in front of him with what? What kind of a man is this? This is a soldier, right? And he's got a sword in his hand. And what does Joshua say to him? (laughs) What does he say? Are you for us or are you against us? Have you asked that of God? Have you felt at times that God is against you? And you know, maybe part of that whole fear factor we were talking about in Sunday school is that in the bottom of our heart, we can't imagine that God could ever be for us. We know what we've done. We know our sins. And here is Joshua about to go into the battle, and he says to this man we know to be the Lord Jesus, he is the ultimate uh, soldier, right, the battle winner. And he says, are you friend or foe? Are you for us or against us? And what does this soldier answer him, this man with the sword? What does he say? Neither. I'm not for you or against you. Neither one. And what Joshua had to understand before he could do anything, before any battle could be fought, he had to know whose battle it was. Are you with me? Huh? He had to understand clearly, this isn't my battle. This isn't Moses' battle. This isn't the Israelites' battle. This battle is whose Whose battle is it? Oh, we're not going to sleep this morning. Trust me, huh? This is the Lord's battle. And whatever you're going through this morning, maybe you're not going through a battle, but we have to understand this is about the Lord's kingdom. This is his battle. This is his way. He wants certain things done, and we need to be following him. He needs to be first out there in front. Joshua, this is not going to be your war. This isn't going to be a battle that you are going to have to fight. This is me, and you follow me. And that is what I have done, following Christ into Burkina Faso. And I have had to tell myself over and over and over again, this isn't my battle. I don't have to win this. I have to surrender to the Lord and say, I will follow you. Lead me, Father. Lead me, Lord Jesus, to those who you have already chosen. You already know you want them to be part of your kingdom. The battle is is the Lord's. And so once Joshua figured that out, right, what does Joshua do? What's the very first thing he does? He falls with his face to the ground. We don't do that anymore, do we? Unless we trip, right? We just don't do that. 
just to lay down on the ground before the Lord. That total surrender. Lord, unless you pick me up, (laughs) there's not going to be any fighting going on. That total surrender. And then he says what? Huh? I am at your command, Joshua said. What do you want your servant to do? I am at your command. What do you want your servant to do? Every morning we get up before we ever move off that bed, before our feet ever touch the floor. Let's repeat these words of Joshua. I am at your command. What do you want me to do? So yeah, I live in a city called Bobo Gialasso, a city of about a million and a half people, uh, a city that still needs the Lord Jesus. We did a door-to-door one time, went into a courtyard. There was an old man there in that yard, tons of problems, divine appointment. The Lord brought us there. We prayed over a young woman who actually um, was pregnant and threatening pregnancy difficulties. We prayed over her and the Lord healed her in that yard. We had several in that large family except Christ. The old man in that family came over and he said, Now, who are you talking about? And we said, Jesus. He said, I have not heard that name in a long time. He said, when I was a young man, I lived out in a village. And there was a missionary that came through that village and he told us about Jesus. And I was so interested in who this Jesus was. But that missionary never came back. And I never heard that name again till now. Who is this Jesus? There's a big difference between unreached and unsaved. The unsaved are those who have heard the name of Jesus and don't want it. They're good. They're doing great. I don't need that stuff. Yeah, you go ahead with that, but I'm good. I'm good. Unreached have never heard that name. They don't even have the opportunity to reject it. They've never heard it. And that's why we go. We're at God's command. He wants them to hear that name. I am at your command. We're the potter, or he's the potter. We're the clay. We follow him. Who are you following? Oh, yeah. Right? Who are you following? Is it the Lord Jesus out in front? Or is it your own stuff? Trying to live up to what other people's expectations? Other people putting demands on you? You're getting pulled into stuff? Who are you following? So, what's my main deal? We train pastors and their wives. That whole educate thing, pastor talked about, that's what we do. We have two Bible schools. One is in the French language. One is in the Jula language. I do most of my teaching concentrating with women, uh, pastors' wives, training them to lead Bible studies, children's classes. Our first challenge with most of the women that we have at our schools, they don't know how to read or write. 
So very first thing is we're going to teach you how to read. And for some of our women, it's a two-year process before we have this step thing that they have to do, and at the end they can get a Bible. So that motivates them uh, to finish, to follow, to be faithful in learning to read so that they can be solid teachers. Um, In our communities, women play huge roles of influence, and so we want our pastors' wives well-equipped in the same way we want our pastors well-equipped. But then I also do ministries in the afternoon. I teach at our Bible schools in the morning. Most afternoons I'm out doing women's Bible study. Our city is growing. Um, When we arrived there in 2000, we've actually been missionaries for almost 30 years. I worked with Nesa Costa for many years before I got married and um, moved to other African countries. But when we arrived in Burkina in 2000, our city was about 500,000. Now, 18 years later, we're a million and a half. And every year, young people uh, just flood our cities. And so in the afternoons, I go out and do Bible studies. I teach in different churches. We had a church that opened, uh, uh, was just starting up, called me, can you come and do a women's Bible study? I agreed. We set the date. I didn't know where the church was, but the pastor gave me directions, and I never get lost. I always know how to get somewhere. So it was no problem. But on that Wednesday, I taught all morning, came home. I had a bad headache. I didn't feel well. It was about 2 o'clock in the afternoon. I needed to leave in a few minutes, and I thought, I don't think I can go. I'm just not well, well enough to go and teach this class. But I felt the Lord wanted me to go. And so I wrestled. I really don't feel well. The last thing I want to do, it's so hot, that sun beating down on my head. I already had, I felt God wanting me to go. So I packed my stuff up, got in the van, went and picked up all my different women. We got into this neighborhood. I thought I knew where we were going. We turned here. That wasn't right. We turned there. It wasn't right. We called the pastor, told him where we were. He said, I'll be right there to meet you. About 15 minutes later, the pastor calls us from another location. Where are you? I said, no, I told you we're here. He said, oh, I thought you meant here. He said, don't move. I will come and find you again another 15 minutes. By now, it's almost 4 o'clock. Bible study starts at 3. And I'm thinking, okay, we get it. We're not going. But one of the women in the van began to pray and said, Lord, we know what's happening here. We know there's an enemy that doesn't want us getting to that Bible study. And that prayer gave us courage. We finally found the pastor. We get to the church. The women, oh dear, they've been singing like for an hour. I rush in. I got all my stuff and passing out Bible verses and helping us with the uh, learning about the Word of God and started teaching my class. By now, you know, you have one of those headaches where it's starting to affect your vision. And I'm thinking, okay, let's just get through this really quickly and maybe we can get the road and head back. And then into that Bible study came a young woman. And you could tell that she didn't know anything about this place. And she's sort of looking around and confused. Unlike us who know church, we head right for the back row. But she just came up not knowing anything, figuring who knows, and sat right in the front with her little boy about five years old, sat there. 
And I immediately changed everything I was doing and started talking about the cross and Jesus and forgiveness of sin. And this young woman began to cry. And then the little boy next to her began to cry. He's looking at mommy, not getting much of what this woman was saying, but he's looking at mom's crying. I better start crying. The two of them just shaking with um, tears. And so we ended it, went over and talked to her, and she said, I want this Jesus. I want this Jesus. What was her story? She had ran away from home in our country. If you go to school, it's expensive. Your parents pay a lot of money to get you into a school, to stay in school. But at every step, there are big exams. And she had taken her elementary exam and passed. But when she got to 10th grade, there's another big exam. It's expensive, the amount of money parents put into your education. And she got to that exam and didn't pass. And she thought her family would be angry with her, thought they wouldn't allow her to repeat the year in school. So along with a girlfriend, they ran away. Where did they run to? The big city. And those two young girls came into the city with no place to live, not knowing anyone, and got into trouble. And they started working at a bar. Her friend, well, within a few weeks, had left her. She never saw her friend again. And there she was in this bar. She would sleep there because she had no place to go. She took up with a young man. She was pregnant, had a child with him. Shortly afterwards, he left. She took up with another young man. This one, she said, promised, promised, promised that he would marry her. But once she got pregnant, he was gone. Then she took up with a third man. And he took not only the child she had with him, but the other little boy. She was only left with her older son. She was too sick by now, probably with AIDS, to work. And all she did was sit outside of her yard crying. No money to pay the rent too embarrassed to go back home. But a Muslim woman came by, all in her veil, saw this young girl crying. Why are you sitting there crying? Go to a church. You find a church. They will pray for you. They will help you. Well, she didn't believe it. The next day, she's still sitting there, and this Muslim woman came by. I told you, Go to a church. Find a church. They will help you. And before she could change her mind, she got up and started walking through the neighborhood looking for a church and found the one where I was at and accepted Christ as her Savior. It was like the light went on. Immediately a woman from the church said, Oh, I live near you. You come and eat your meals at my house. The pastor got involved, worked to find a job for her. Someone in the church said he would pay for the little boy's schooling. She now has her own business selling food throughout the neighborhood. She takes turns eating with different, in different people's homes so she can get a little bit ahead financially. I am at your command, Lord. I don't want to miss any opportunity. Wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do, 
I am willing. And that's what Joshua said here this morning. I am at your command. And then the second thing, don't try this at home. What does the Lord say to him? Verse 15, what's he say? Huh? Take your shoes off, right? What does that mean? Holy ground. If we want to be following the Lord, we have to be holy people. And Christians are involved in a lot of stuff that is not holy. It's crept in. I notice it. I come back into this country and it's like, whoa. Others can do stuff. Not us. Not us. We are a holy people. Are you with me? And we've got to get rid of that junk that's not helping us. Those idols. It's not just in Africa people are worshiping idols. Huh? That money or that lifestyle, or that status, or anything that is more important to you than the Lord Jesus. My mother-in-law that he talked about, she will not read her, she will not watch television longer than the time she spends reading the Word of God. Wow. Wouldn't that change a lot? Hmm? A lot of what we watch on TV does not help us. Watching families arguing, that bad language, that unkindness, that in-your-face stuff, is that helping us? No. And even the news sometimes, man, it is all negative. You just forget who is in charge of this world. God is. He is on the throne. He is sovereign. And He is at work. It says in the last days, right, my spirit will be poured out. And we forget that. That holiness, righteous living, we must come back to that. This stuff we've got to get rid of. Are you with me? Yes. Huh? Yes. And the Holy Spirit will work here this morning. I don't know what that is for you. I know what it is for me. Others can do stuff, not us. Even other Christians can do stuff, not me. Other Christians can encourage you, oh, come on. Hey, I'm holy. I'm righteous. And they can make fun of you and say, oh, you think you're better than everybody else. You do all you want. My commander-in-chief is holy, and I will be holy. We, um, when we first went to the mission field, what, almost our boys are 27. So we went to Nigeria, served there for about three years. And we went with three children under the age of two. We had twins, and then a short while later, another boy, these three little boys. We went to Nigeria. In those days, no cell phones. We didn't even have a telephone. We had no vehicle. We had no, really, access to money because the banks, you had to have all this resident information, so our only way to access money was on the black market because of our status. Our, we had no access to a bank where we could get money. And so we had to find somebody willing to exchange dollars for local currency, which thankfully we usually had no problem doing that, right? 
But one time my husband Andrew had traveled and he couldn't, he'd say, okay, I'm leaving today and I'm supposed to come back in three days, but, right, it could be four, it could be five. There were no phone, no way for him to say anything to me. Almost the minute that he left the house, we lived in a, a, a large uh, suburb of, of a city of about 10 million people. Almost the minute he pulls out, it wasn't the washing machine that broke, one of my boys got sick. So we didn't know doctors, didn't know where there was a pharmacy, didn't have much money. So he was like, you know, the usual kind of flu thing, diarrhea, throwing up, and my boys were real thin, so they couldn't afford to lose a lot of weight. And then he was sick, and then suddenly his brother was sick, same thing. Within like 24 hours, these kids were like skin and bones. And then the third one, I had these three sick babies and didn't know what to do, didn't know where to go, didn't know who to call. But just as the Lord always does, here came some woman who had heard about a missionary. She was coming to meet me and tell me about what she was doing, whatever. She showed up. She saw me with these three sick kids and she said, oh, I need to take you to the doctor. So she gathered us all up, got us in her vehicle. We drove into this city, found, she said, now this is the best doctor in our whole city. And here we got there, and there's a huge crowd of people all waiting to see best doctor in Nigeria, right? And I'm thinking, if I have to wait in this line with these three, I don't even know if they're going to be alive by the time we get up there. But of course, this woman, whoever she was, I don't know, she just pushed her way past all those people and nobody said anything. And we got all the way up to the front of the line, got into the room where the doctor is seeing patients. He has two or three nurses. And he's spending, no joke, about 30 seconds with each of the babies he's examining. And so I'm watching this guy. I'm a nurse. I'm watching this guy. He takes a baby and sort of looks the baby around. There's no stethoscope, no looking in ears, no nothing. Holds this baby up and says, okay, and says something to the nurse. Nurse comes over, gives the baby a shot, and off the baby goes. So I had to, I watched that for two children, and then it's my turn. He took our little guy, Stephen, he was the youngest, six months old, holds him up, gives him a little shake, And then he says to the nurse, okay, give him a shot. And she has the same needle, the same vial of medicine that has gone through, I don't know how many kids. I looked at this woman and I said, now. And I grabbed that baby out of that doctor's arm. She grabbed the other two kids, and we ran out of that place as fast as we could go. Why? Why? That needle was dirty. It couldn't be used. Right? And how many of us, God is looking for somebody to use, There's a situation, there's a crisis, there's a problem. He is looking for believers that he can use, and yet, wait, what? Can't be done. 
they're dirty. They've got their mind way out in some other junk. God needs us to take off our shoes. Right? This is holy ground. And wherever we put our feet is holy ground. And you make sure in your home the Holy Spirit is welcome there. This is a holy house, a holy home. Huh? I am a holy people. My family is holy, set apart. And this is where the Spirit of God lives, who is a what? A holy spirit. So, yeah, have I put you to sleep yet or what? Yeah. What does Joshua do? It says here, take off your shoes. And wow, last part of that verse says what? Something we never do. What? And Joshua did as he was told. What's it say in your translation out there? Huh? Joshua did so. What? He did so. Whatever his commander is saying, that is what he is doing. Obedience to the real commander. We're not going to be just hearers of the word, but we are going to be doers. Not just hearers, we are going to be doers. Obedience to the commander, the real commander. I work in a prison. Um, I don't have to tell you what that place is like, right? African prison? Whoa. Right now we just are working with the women prisoners. Usually we have about 20 women. Women, it's very unusual for them to be put in jail because... They are useful in their families. If you drag the mom off to prison, there's nobody to cook, nobody to do laundry, nobody to clean the yard, so she has to be really bad to go to jail. You know, she's killed somebody, she's um, embezzled money from the wrong person, somebody with influence and power. Um, If they do come to prison, usually they're not there that long. Our ministry is one of worship. We go into that prison. They call us the Hallelujah Women. I have a team of about 10 women. And um, the guards gave us that name, sort of a draw. Here come those Hallelujah Women. We love it, right? We are bringing Hallelujah and praise into this dark place. Doesn't bother us a bit. And we sing. And it's so interesting because our women's section and our young men, that's the other group that we work with there's no roof over the area where we meet with them it's it's walled and locked and we are put in there with these guys whoa but there's no roof and so when we sing it echoes off those walls throughout that whole prison i don't care if you're the main dude down your office you're hearing the glory of god and it's so fun sometimes one of the guards at the prison you'll see him crossing the yard just humming one of the praise songs that we just sang we know god is at work there we also go in with the underage prisoners these would be um, young men under the age of 18 young girls we have but they are kept with the women and these guys are bad they're bad i don't know what else to tell you they are bad And um, we go in there, 
They have their arms crossed like this. I make them come out and sit, and I make them shake my hand, which they're like, hmm. But when you start talking about Jesus, the Word of God, they just, they put their arms just like, hmm. Right? We were telling a story, and we love this. I just think the whole Bible was written for prisoners. You start reading the Word of God as a, you know, working in a jail, and you think, this whole Bible is for prisoners, right? Anyway, young, a young man, we got to the end of what we were saying, and he had us like this, and he says, well, your God can't help me. I said, well, you don't know my God. I've yet to meet someone, hear someone that my God wasn't able to help. Well, you don't know me. I'm bad. My father was bad. My grandfather was bad. My whole family, we are bad. Your God can't help me. I said, now you take your little flashlight there and you go back into your cell and close the door. You go back in that dark cell and close the door and you turn your flashlight on. That's what my God will do for you. There is no darkness, there's no power on on the earth, under the earth, that is stronger than my God. There is no darkness that my God cannot light up. That young man looked up at me. He says, but don't you want to know what I've done? I said, no. I don't want to know what you've done. I want to know what you're going to do. Are you going to decide today for Jesus? Are you going to make him your commander? Are you going to get rid of your idols and your bad and your uh, junk that you're doing and follow him? That's all that matters. That young man took me at my word and prayed that day, kneeled down, man, a prayer that you hear so rarely of surrender and confession. And that light of Christ began in his life. The next week I came in. He said, do you think I can have a Bible? Uh, I did go to school for a short while and I can read. Do you think you could get a Bible for me? I said, no, 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 we don't. No, I didn't say that. I said, yeah, take mine. Here, I just pulled my Bible out and gave it to him. Yeah, go for it. And that guy, he started reading that Bible out loud and holding prayer meetings. And the next time I saw him, he said, now, what is this about fasting? I want to understand that because I want to do an all-night prayer meeting. And I want to do a whole day of fasting with these guys. We've got some issues going here. And he quickly earned the name of pastor. And that's what those other guys called him. Well, some men in our church worked it out, arranged, and got him out of that place found work for him, took responsibility for him, and on his last day in prison, the other prisoners were so sad. And they said to me, what are we going to do without our pastor? Who's going to pray for us? Who's going to lead us in prayer? And I said, well, God's calling one of you. 
What's keeping you? What's holding you back? Right? Why don't you all go down that same road? You see the difference it's made for him? He can do that for you. So yeah, I'm here this morning just as a reminder of why we do what we do. You know, if you pop over to, don't worry, I'm going to shut up. Yeah, I'm hungry too. I'm thinking about my lunch and what's going on. John 17, 4. Listen to this. Jesus, his prayer, right? And he says in John 17, 4, I brought glory to you. He's talking to God, right? I brought glory to you here on earth by doing what? I brought glory to you, God, here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Do you want your life to glorify God? Ooh, you're not talking to me. What's going on? Do you want your life to glorify God? Could there be any other goal for us? Lord, I want all that I am, all that I have, to bring glory to you. Our little baby, our little grandbaby in that hospital, that's been our prayer. for God, I don't know how you're going to glorify yourself through the life of this little baby, but that's our desire. If it is in her death, if it's in her life, if it's in her disabilities, our desire, be glorified. Right? Is that your desire this morning? God, glorify yourself in me. And how does Jesus glorify God? By completing the work He sent Him to do. And what are we doing as a team, as an army of the Lord? Our commander-in-chief is out in front and we are following. We are a holy people. We are a called people. And we are determined in our lifetime to see that gospel preached in the whole world. And, you know, let's get back to our missionary prayer meetings. Hello. Let's get back to our missionary cans in our kitchen where the loose change or money from coupons or missing a coffee, that's where we're putting it. And we're saying to the pastor with our nickels and dimes, this is for missions. And we want to help the Schaefers and all of our Alliance missionaries bring the gospel to the last-to-be-reached people. Huh? And in our lifetime, we are following that commander. Yeah, my life glorifying God, your life glorifying God, fulfilling that great commission for everyone to hear the name of Jesus. I don't know about you. I can't imagine my life without Jesus. There is no name more precious. Boy, we sang it this morning. I thought the roof was going to come off, but it stayed in place. Where they just said, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Do you sometimes cry out that name? You can't pray anything else. It's just Jesus, Jesus. We must do all that we can so that every person, anyone, everyone can hear that name and fulfill God's calling on our lives. Thank you.